It's Wednesday, May 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, the one and only Emily Flippin. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's warm here in the studio, and it's because we just had a very heated discussion with producer Dan Boyd about pizza and bagels. And um, you know, that's just that's just going to remain among the three of us, probably just as well that uh, that that doesn't go out to the dozens of listeners. Uh, we've got some earnings. We've got some marijuana earnings. We've got some e-commerce earnings. Uh, let's start there. Let's start with Alibaba. Um, fourth quarter revenue up fifty one percent. And I know we like to talk from time to time about the um, uh, the law of large numbers, but this is a four hundred fifty billion dollar company, and they are putting up surprisingly big numbers when you consider how big a company Alibaba is. Uh, profits were higher than expected. The the stock is barely moving positively today. What? Why is that? This this seems like, and you watch this company closer than me, but this seems like a solidly good quarter for a big company. Well, you've made a mistake in bringing me on today, oh. <laughs> because Alibaba is one of the companies that I watch, but there's also a handful of other Chinese companies that have been reporting and will continue to report the next couple of weeks. Um, the rep- earnings that we've seen, Alibaba included, have been outstanding, and the market has hammered them. In fact, Alibaba not being down today is impressive within itself. Um, so, Alibaba's kind of trepidatious response by the market, I don't think has anything to do with their earnings, their guidance, their business. It's really the macro situation right now. There was nothing they could have said that would, or nothing within reason that they could have said that would make the market respond very positively. But the fact that this is such a big company, growing revenue at 51%, um, and they're seeing such an amazing growth through Alibaba Cloud, I mean, they really are doing everything. So, we have the cloud business. Uh, their management now says they're serving 50% of China's A-rated business. Through their cloud business, and that's actually much smaller than I think it can be over the long term. So this growth to me is just the beginning. Um, you'll see that 70% of the increase in active users were actually from less developed cities as well. So they continue to expand within the country, and their partnerships are really starting to pay off. Uh, Alipay, Taobao, they pushed through 30% of Ulama's orders. That's Chinese food delivery. So the fact that Alibaba is so spread out across the country in terms of business segments, in terms of revenue. Just means that this is an amazing company, and the market's kind of sad response doesn't mean much to me. So it sounds like you think this is a buying opportunity because because the stock. I mean, to widen the lens a little bit, I mean, this is a stock that's uh, I think it's up about thirty percent maybe over the past year or so. Like it's it's had a a pretty decent run, but uh, but it sounds like you think there's a lot of runway ahead of it. Well. Here's a good testament to that runway. Yoku, which is, you could call it Chinese YouTube, uh, it's Alibaba's video streaming website. They're still producing movies and TV shows, and guess who they're selling it to? Netflix. So the biggest one in China right now, um, I think it, I forget the name of the, but it, but it dropped on Netflix today. So if you're interested, you can go on Netflix. It's probably going to be one of the first videos that starts playing for you. It's a Chinese drama that they purchased from Alibaba through Yoku. So the idea that this company has kind of tapped out on growth is a terrible misunderstanding of all the different levers that Alibaba still has to pull in their business. Let's move on to another of your areas of expertise, and that's the marijuana industry, which you cover here at The Fool. A couple of companies reporting today. Tilray reporting first quarter results. Sales were up, but their costs were also up, so their loss 
was definitely bigger than expected. And Aurora Cannabis seemed like it had a pretty good third quarter. Uh, Tilray stock getting hit a little bit. Aurora Cannabis, last time I checked, was uh, moving slightly positive. Um, I, I, safe to say, Aurora is, if not the biggest player in this space, maybe the best known. Yes, definitely. Tilray and Aurora, two of the best known players in this space. You'll notice that revenues uh, growth in general is extremely strong in both of these companies. Tilray's up almost 200%, but it's only the 23 million. So it's just a reminder to people who are interested in this space that these companies, despite their popularity and despite how well known they are, they're still extremely small. And it's projected that Tilray, being one of the best known companies, only has about a 5% market share in Canada. And that might sound to somebody like, wow, they have so much room to grow. But that's just a testament to how fragmented the market is. And both of these companies are increasingly unprofitable. They're going to need to raise capital to continue operations. And that should not miss out on any investors. Investors should be perfectly aware of the fact that shareholder dilution in these companies is not just a word we like to say about why we don't like them. It's a it's a real threat. It's a real threat to people who are buying these companies. So, despite strong revenue growth, and if you're interested in looking into the cannabis space, there's a lot of other companies, a lot of ancillary plays that you can get into that have a lot less risk and a lot less exposure than companies like Aurora or. Tilray. That being said, partnerships are really key for both these companies moving forward. They are big players. They are well-known players. So it's going to be important for them to continue to make partnerships, and they're both doing a good job of executing on that. So go back 25 years or so. You had a bunch of companies that made desktop computers, and they're all competing with one another. And part of the reason Microsoft grew was because they weren't interested in making the computer; they were interested in just being the software inside the computer. Um, hearing you talk about the cannabis industry, it makes me think that uh, investors shouldn't be looking at the growers, which are the obvious sort of first place to look. Um, but instead, the companies, the picks and shovels companies, if you will, that are looking to service any of these companies that are producing the marijuana. Like, what's one or two companies that you think sort of fit that space of, look, they're not growing, they're maybe not as well known as Tilray and Aurora, but these are worth keeping an eye on? Well, one company that is an active recommendation in the Marijuana Master Service here that I'm a huge fan of is actually Enwave. Enwave is interesting. It's been around for a while. They're a dehydrator. I was going to say, this is like the, yes. I, I think of it as the oven company, but I have a simple mind. So they're actually pretty well known in the cannabis space, but people think of them as just that the oven company. They sell dehydrators. That's kind of a misunderstanding of their business model. Uh, very early on, the company figured out that they're not going to really make a lot of money by just selling this equipment to companies like Tilray and Aurora, uh, what they're going to make money by doing is selling subscriptions, licensing. And so, they started to license these, giving exclusive rights to use this equipment to companies like Tilray. And that provides ongoing, recurring, safer revenue. So, if you like a company like Tilray, a good investment is actually probably Endwave, which is relatively insulated because they don't have the risk that Tilray has in terms of actually growing, having direct exposure to the price of marijuana, which some people argue is a commodity. Instead, they have predictable, stable, growing revenue while still providing some exposure to the space. Safe to assume that this is one of those industries that investors should think of in terms of 
the more volatile end of their portfolio, the higher risk end. And I, I, the reason I ask that is because I was just looking at the 52-week range for Tilray. 52-week high of $300 a share, a low of $20 a share. That is one hell of a roller coaster. The hype cycle is real, and we've seen it a million times over in about every industry you can imagine. I think 3D printing probably comes to mind. So, nobody wants to be buying 3D printing at its very peak. And the same can be true for marijuana. The difference is is that in the marijuana industry, I see strong underlying demand. So, that's why I feel comfortable investing in a lot of these companies. That being said, you have to recognize that the reason they're so hotly valued right now is because the hype is extremely strong. And it's not a matter of if we see a marijuana pullback, it's a matter of when we see a marijuana pullback. So, if you're investing in companies in the marijuana space, do not just buy pure play companies. You are setting yourself up for disaster. What you should be doing is taking a basket approach, taking a long term view. Buying companies that maybe are pure plays, but combining them with companies that operate in the marijuana space that will see less of a pullback when the marijuana industry as a whole continues to fall. Restaurant Brands International is having their investor day today. This is the parent company of Burger King, Tim Hortons, Popeyes. One thing out of the day that caught my attention was Tim Hortons is going to be adding Beyond Meat options to their menu. That was caught my attention for two reasons. One, just that it happened, and two, that when Tim Hortons was looking for plant-based meat substitutes, they didn't go with Impossible Foods, which they're, you know, uh, which Burger King has been doing um, with the test of the Impossible Whopper. Um, so clearly, Tim Hortons. If anyone was wondering, oh, do all of these restaurants under the Restaurant Brands International brand are they all operating independently? Yeah, they absolutely are. Um, but I'm curious where you see this space going because I. This is also a day or two removed from Impossible Foods announcing they've raised another $300 million in venture financing. I think the total that they've raised now is somewhere in the neighborhood of $750 million. It seems like an obvious growth story. How big are these two going to get? Well, they're big right now, in part thanks to what I already mentioned, the hype cycle. We are gunning straight up on the you know non-meat substitute hype cycle. People are really excited by it. But it goes back to what I said about cannabis, where it's a matter of if the underlying demand is there. And I think with a lot of these companies, restaurant brands, international included, is they're testing whether or not the market demand is there. And so, we're seeing success with things like the Burger King's Impossible Whopper, because people are so excited and interested. What's going to be the testament long-term is that if people continue to choose to buy the Impossible Whopper over the Classic Whopper. Uh, and that's where the strong debate comes, because a lot of people think that this is just a kind of interesting one-off play that, when push comes to shove, you're never going to convert an entire society of meat eaters to meat substitute eaters. But what's interesting about Impossible Burger and Beyond Meats, Impossible Burger being more towards the taste of somebody who wants a meat taste, and Beyond Meats, in my opinion, being closer to somebody who wants um, a really good veggie burger, is that I think long term, especially with younger generations, there are going to be people who choose to have and pursue 
flexitarian, non-meat diets. And so I think the underlying demand is there. I just don't know how big it is yet. And so with companies like this, I love the fact that Restaurant Brands is trying out both Impossible and Beyond Meats and seeing where the market demand is. Although, you know, obviously doing Tim Hortons and Burger King, totally different businesses there. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. Just it's important to remember if you are investing in this space that be clear about what it is. What it is is ground meat substitute, ground red meat substitute. That's all they're doing right now. So they have stuff that can kind of make it taste like you're eating ground meat. This is not an entire meat substitute. We're we're still far away from having a you know, Beyond Meat steak, for instance. So keep that in mind when you're looking at the total addressable market for companies like this. It really is going to be one of the more fascinating things, and and you know we've been lucky enough as people who work in this industry that we've had several years now of these type of really interesting trends pop up. You know, marijuana being arguably the most recent one, um, but I think the the plant based plant based meat substitute space is going to be interesting to watch because right now. This is setting up between Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. This is setting up as Coke and Pepsi. And I'm curious to see if we see a third viable entry into this market or if some enormous company decides to take this upon themselves and just say, no, we're going to, we're going to do this. And we already have the distribution channels in the same way that Coke and Pepsi have. You know, part of the strengths of those business is the distribution channels that they have. Well, I'm a Dr. Pepper fan, so part of me thinks that I might be holding out for that third entrant. Emily Flippin, thanks for being here. Thanks again for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.